today's scripture reading, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes, or beginning on page 877 in the Worship Bible. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. That which was from the beginning, we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of God. You may... Let's have a word of prayer as we start. Father, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to be at worship this morning, to share it with family and friends, to gather around the table of the Lord and fellowship with one another. And I know that as we gather, some of us are going through some really hard times. Some of us are dealing with difficult financial or relational or health questions for ourselves or for people we love. We thank you that you're in the middle of all of that and that you are a God who lived among us. And so you know our aches and our pains. You know how it feels to be human and so I pray that that would give to us comfort and hope, knowing that you share our pain, but that also your resurrection power would give to us that confidence that as we hope in you, it's not merely wishful thinking or pie in the sky or whistling in the dark or pretending life is not bad. No, as you embraced death and through it came to resurrection. So we embrace our pain, our difficult times, and trust you for hope that grows even out of hardship. Thank you for the glorious truth of this gospel. And may it influence our lives, and may our time as we look at your text this morning, that it would, we pray that it would teach us how we can better follow the Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. I ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. I have a friend I grew, went to high school with who uh, is an undercover missionary in China. So don't tell anybody. He's an undercover missionary in China. He's there to teach English to young college students who've been hired uh, to do that, and uh, teachers who can teach from England, uh, from America who can teach English is, are really highly valued over there, and these are very well-educated young college students, and that's what he's going to do, and he's very faithful. He's been doing it for about 15 or 20 years now, uh, but he also has an unannounced goal which is to be a representative for Jesus Christ and to introduce as many people as he can through his life and through his work and through uh, what he's doing to, to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And he's told me many fascinating stories uh, about the openness of the Chinese people to the gospel where it is that he lives. And he, he tells me that by and large in China, it's assumed that all Americans are Christians. We're a Christian country, and so we have a Christian culture. And so one of the things he's actually expected to do in the midst of 
of his English classes is to teach them about American Christianity, which he does and uh, uses that sometimes as a way of uh, letting them know more about the gospel which, to which he has committed his life. Well, you know that though many people might assume that America is Christian, we're all Christians here, you know that's not really the case, is it? We have Christian moorings ultimately, but, uh, but we're not really a Christian nation. It, but it raises a very important question. How can you really tell who is Christian and who is not Christian? I mean, if, if we're sort of living kind of a Christianish type of culture, what, what's the difference between someone who just has sort of a, a general affinity or an awareness or something about, knows something about Christianity, and someone who really has made a heart commitment is truly a follower of, of Jesus Christ? We know ultimately only God knows the answer to that question. Uh, but, 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 but in the in this book of First John, which Jimmy read the opening words of it for you, John is actually beginning to try to answer that very same question. But, uh, in that day, by this time, this is one of the last books written in the New Testament. By this time, you know, Jesus had died, rose again. The gospel had penetrated all the way across the eastern seaboard. There are lots of small little communities, and it became important for them to be, begin to identify, well, how do we know who's really in and who's out? How do we know who's really a follower of Jesus, and how do we know who isn't? And so, in many cases, uh, this is what John is trying to do in this letter, this very short letter, is to give them clues that they can look for. What was actually going on is that there were a number of teachers who would come in, and they would claim to be representing the gospel of Jesus, but they might not really have been committed to the truths that the apostles had taught. And while the, and John was the pro, assumed to have been the last living apostle, and so they're passing off the torch of leadership to new generations, and people would come in, and it was really important for them to be able to discern the difference between truth and error. And so, in part, this letter is, helped, is written to a, a, a group of, of believers in order to help them identify the difference between true and false Christianity. So as we look carefully at the whole of John's letter, which incidentally, we've been making our way for two years now through the whole Bible, and we're almost to the very end, just a few more weeks. And uh, as we take a look at this book, this uh, first John, we will see that John identifies three different themes that he cycles around to various times, these general themes, all of which are important signs of genuine spiritual life. And these then become for us a good way to be able to evaluate others and what they might be teaching about Christianity, but it also gives us a good way to kind of take a look at ourselves. Am I really a follower of Jesus? How do I know if I really am? Now, John, uh, in typical Jewish fashion, didn't write this book with, with three points and an application. But if you read through this book, you will see these themes occur at various times. This was fairly typical uh, in John, uh, in, in Jewish literature. The Proverbs do this all the time. They'll talk about things. They'll circle around, coming back to it, coming back to it, coming back to it. So there are three basic signs uh, about true spiritual life. We might call the first one the belief sign, and the second one the behavior sign, and the third one the belonging sign. And in this little letter to, uh, that John is writing, he wants them to understand that it's important for them to understand what it is that Christians believe, how it is that Christians behave, and where it is that Christians belong. 
Where are they attached to? Uh, what do they believe, and how do they live? And these are really important signs even for us, that we take a look at these issues as we try to identify both for ourselves the signs of true spiritual life. What is it that I truly believe? How is it that I'm actually behaving, and where is it that I really belong? He wants him to see, and I'll tell you where I'm going to go, and I'll t- then we'll take this journey together. He wants him to see that a, a, a Christian is a person who, be- who believes that Jesus is God in the flesh and has committed his life and trusted in his life to him. That's the first, the belief test, the belief question. And secondly, as to how Christians believe, he wants them to know that a Christian is a person who seeks to behave in a way consistent with the commands of Jesus. He doesn't always do it perfectly. In fact, he may have lots of problems doing so, but he's committed to following the commands of Jesus. And then the thirdly, as to where it is that Christians belong, he wants them to know that Christians are people who belong to a local church family. They're not independent free agents. They're committed to a local church family. So let's take a look at these three ideas and see what we can learn as we take up, as we explore this text, uh, this text together. First of all, what Christians believe. Christians are people ultimately who have a specific notion about who it is that Jesus was and what it is that Jesus came to do and the connection of Jesus to their own spiritual life. All people in all cultures have a general and genuine, I think, respect for the person of Jesus. Muslims, Buddhists, um, atheists, many people have a great respect for the person of Jesus. But for Christians, there's a specific and singular way that they look at Jesus. They see Jesus as God walking in human skin who gave his life in order to rescue humanity from the evil they had brought upon themselves so they could offer to them his new life. And they've responded in faith to him. Christians understand that, Christ, that uh, be, be, being a, uh, getting to heaven is not just a matter of doing, uh, ticking lots of boxes in order to earn God's favor, but simply trusting in Jesus and what it is that he did. Jesus, the God-man who gave his life and rose from the dead. So he began, he began, first of all, by saying to them, I need you to know the truth about Jesus. See, what had been going on there in the late first century as the church began to develop and emerge is there were some new ideas about Jesus which were emerging and regarding the person of Jesus. There was a, a group which ultimately became to know as Gnostics or Gnosticism, uh, which kind of taught that Jesus was not God in the flesh, incarnate, but that perhaps a spiritual Christ descended on the man Jesus and at his baptism and was taken up from him at his resurrection, that he, he had been sort of uh, empowered by God, but that there was a dualistic notion between his humanity as a human and then the deity of God, which rested on him. He wasn't fully God and fully man. It was a separation between the physical and the spiritual, and we don't have time to get into all of that, but it's a very important theological development which the church rejected but still infiltrates us even today when we try to think of my life itself as not spiritual and spiritual something else. We get a dualistic idea regarding our spirituality, that my relationship with God is purely a head trip that I make with God, making certain mental You see, no, it's about my whole self. So there were people who thought that Jesus was not really uh, fully divine, uh, but that he was uh, maybe had this... Uh, uh, 
God's spirit that descended on him and then left him at his, at his, uh, at his crucifixion. But John clearly, in the opening verses of this, uh, of this text, wants us to know three things about Jesus under this first point that Christians believe. He wants his people to know that Jesus is fully divine. Notice the emphasis in this opening verse is about his eternal qualities. He's speaking about Jesus when he begins, and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. You see the strange words he used about Jesus? He says about Jesus, he was from the beginning. That means he was from the beginning of time. His existence predated his birth in the manger, okay? And we have seen and heard, and he is the word of life. He has a life within himself. And he says the life was made manifest. It was revealed through him as if it were hidden beforehand, but now it's been revealed to him. And we proclaim to you, he says, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Those of us who are well-versed in Christian theology understand this idea about Jesus being fully divine. Jesus was, uh, was uh, fully divine among us. He was uh, equal and equivalent to God, separate from God, but equivalent to God. He was fully divine. But he also teaches us, secondly, that Jesus is fully human, fully human. The same texts. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we had looked upon and touched with our hands. We touched this man. We listened to this man. He was not an apparition. He was not a gross. He was a real man. See, this is written by the Apostle John. And he's saying to me, don't tell me your thoughts about Jesus. I lived with him for three years. I walked with him. I know that he was a flesh and blood human being and that he had uh, divine qualities um, also as well. This is just one text in here where he begins to talk about Jesus and his divine and human nature. And the third thing he says about Jesus is he is the life. He is the word of life. That life is uh, intimately present within him. In fact, Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John in the 14th chapter, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come, he said, in the 10th chapter of the same book, that they might have life and have it to the full. So life itself lives in Jesus Christ. He doesn't just have life. He is life. I mean, do you see the difference between that? So he's teaching to us that Jesus was both human and divine. Christians believed that Jesus was none other than God walking among us, God living in human skin. Christians believe that the ultimate revelation of God in this world, yes, we see God revealed through nature, we see God revealed in many kinds of ways, and we see God revealed even through the Scriptures, you know, uh, we see God revealed in many kinds of ways, but the ultimate revelation of God was none other than Jesus, the baby born in a manger, who lived in the backwaters of Galilee, who came into talk about the kingdom of God, who gave his life and died on a cross, that that was God dying on a cross. Not just God, not just, a, and Jesus just didn't appear to die, he really died. Christians have a specific and a, a notion about Jesus. 
And this Jesus is a Jesus to whom, who, who carries in him life. And if we want to have life, we will find it in him. I, of course, didn't have time to, or space to print all the chapters of First John, but listen to how he closes that book. You've heard how he opens it, but listen to how he closes it. He says in the 13th verse of the, uh, uh, of the uh, 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 well, let me start with the 11th verse uh, of chapter 5. He says, um, who, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life, the life of Jesus we have as we believe in the Son of God. You see, Christians believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, and they have responded in faith. That's the belief issue. But it's not the only thing that matters. It's the most important thing. It's by far the most important thing. But we would be remiss if we made it the only thing, because John did not make it the only thing. He talked about other things that were important. And the second was what we called the behavior question. The behavior question, how Christians behave. He goes on to say that you can tell who's really following Jesus by the way they approach Jesus' commands. You can tell who is a follower of Jesus by the way that they approach Jesus' commands. For example, uh, in chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4, and we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. <laughs> and the truth is not in him. Now, I remember first reading that when I was in high school, and that verse scared me to death because I thought, well, there's some of God's commands I still don't keep. And uh, I, I, so he's not claiming that we need to be perfect. He's not claiming that, uh, uh, that, uh, that we never sin. He's not claiming those kinds of things. But I think he's talking about a heart attitude toward the commands of Jesus. That a Christian says, this book, which is the Word of God, inspired by the living Word of God, this book gives me the story of God's work in the world, and this is my guide for my life. I will obey his commands. Now, you know good and well that in contemporary culture today, we sometimes want to take it or leave it approach to some of the things that Jesus teaches. There's a lot of things that the Bible teach that uh, don't fit in with conventional wisdom anymore. Well, Christians say, I'm sorry to be a little out of step, but this is what the Bible teaches, and I want to follow that. So a Christian is a person who seeks to behave in a way consistent with the commands of Jesus. A Christian, Christians care about the Scriptures. Christians want to understand the Scriptures. If you find yourself utterly disinterested in the Scriptures and wondering why it is that I would come up every week and try to tell you what the Scriptures have to say, you might want to ask yourself, have I really got the sign of life in me? Because those people who have an appreciation for God and His truth want to know what the Scriptures have to say. The Holy Spirit uh, creates him in them 
that, that urge. Christians are people who believe in, behave in a way consistent with the commands of Jesus, all right? Um, uh, the, uh, um, uh, in that day, there were some people, because of the separation between spirit and body, they thought it really didn't matter how you lived and what you did so long as you believed. And there was kind of a new morality that had been uh, re- embraced in some teachings about the church, and that since uh, basically humanity is really bad, it doesn't really matter what you do with it. What matters is your spiritual experience. John is come combating that. And he's saying, wait a minute, these people, you need to look at what they teach about Jesus, but also look at their manner of life. Are they seeking to live consistent with the teachings of Scripture? Or do they poo-poo the, uh, the commands of Jesus as if they're not any, of any great importance? Well, in, in our day as well, there are a lot of people that think following Jesus is just a matter of having said a certain prayer someday or affirming a certain belief. Says, no, Christianity involves an utter change of one's life. An utter change of one's life. A, a follower of Jesus desires to, to, to listen to and to obey the commands of Jesus. Now, we do not get it done perfectly, certainly. We don't get it done perfectly. In fact, the Bible says if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and we are liars and the truth is not in us. So it's not that we live perfectly, but that we have an intention to follow Jesus Christ. I remember uh, it, having introduced a friend of mine to Christ when I was in high school, but be, the year before that he saw me reading the Bible and he just had no interest in the Bible at all. He just was very disinterested in it. I didn't say much about it. But, uh, uh, but later on, about a year later, while we were playing football together, we talked about the gospel and he decided he would, uh, would uh, uh, in, respond in faith to Christ. And then he became a voracious reader of the scriptures. He was so interested in knowing what the Bible had to say. That was one of the signs of new life in him. And if you have little or no interest in reading the scriptures, you might want to ask yourself, have I ever really committed my life to Jesus Christ? I mean, uh, some of us are like we, we, we stood at an altar and got married to our wife one day and said a few words of commitment, but we have no interest in ever being involved with her or knowing anything more about her. We're disinterested in our wives altogether. That would not be a real marriage, would it? And yet there are a lot of people who are that way with Jesus. They say, well, I was baptized one time long ago. I did that. I, I went to the altar or I did a certain thing. That's enough, isn't it? You know? Well, not if you understand that Christianity is a relationship and that God wants relationship with you. And if you have responded in relationship with him, you will want to be in relationship with him. You will want to know. When I was in college and going with my girlfriend, who now is my wife, um, every so often, I would go to box 5542, and I would find in it a cream-colored envelope that had a little picture window in the side of the thing, and a guy and a girl walking down the way. And I knew when I got that envelope that that was a letter from Donna, right? And then no matter what else was going on, I was going to be late to the next thing because I wanted to go somewhere to see what my girlfriend had written to me in that envelope. Why? Because I cared about her. And I cared what she thought. I wanted to know what was going. You see? Yeah. And that's what these words are. Now, again, I don't want to mislead you. None of us keeps this book perfectly. And we don't want to use like a, 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 a club to beat people over the head with. These are the words of life. And what Jesus is trying to do is to help us understand how it is that life works best. Because he is the ultimate author. He is the source of life. And if we separate ourselves from his ideas, we separate ourselves from the true life. Jesus, like any good parent, is looking for our, for our own best 
interest. And so he says things to us and tries to help us see how life really works. And sometimes like spoiled children, we think, no, that's not what I want to do. My life would be better if I did this, or if I quit school or quit that job or didn't go to that class, whatever. And, and like a true parent who grieves for the bad choices a child makes because the ch- parent knows what's best for that child, Jesus grieves because he wants to give us the words of life and light. And so those who are followers of Jesus have a real desire to follow and to obey his commands. Yes, that's how Christians behave. And then there's a third thing that we see um, in, in, this, in this text, and that is the question, where is it that Christians belong? Where do Christians belong? A Christian is a person who belongs to a local church family. A Christian is a person who belongs to a local church family. And this is what was kind of going on, is there were people that were pulling out of the local churches there. They were pulling out these as if it really didn't matter. They had their own way to go. For, uh, so, for example, in chapter 3 and verse 14, he says, we know, uh, uh, they, 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 uh, not, that's, not, that's not the text. He says, we, she says, we know they were not, uh, not with us because if they had been with us, they would have stayed with us. That's in chapter 2 and verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they'd have continued with us, but they went out that it might be complained that they are not of us us. He was talking about people trying to create their own little religious group separately. They didn't need the local church. They were on to do their own thing. And throughout this text, he's wanting them to know that Christians are people who want to be part of a church family. And I want to be careful about this because I will say that the first point is the most important of my three points, right? We make a commitment to Jesus Christ, trusting in Him. But it is certainly true that there are a lot of people who say they've made a commitment to Jesus Christ but have no interest in the Scriptures and what they teach, and they have no interest in being part of a local church family. You've heard it. You've probably said to yourself, I can worship God anywhere I want, right? I don't need a church to help me do that. (laughs) That is such a gross misrepresentation of what the Bible really teaches. There is no hint in the Scriptures about Lone Ranger Christianity. There's no hint of it. It's always about us. It's always about a family. These books are written to people. And he says, this is how we know that we are part of God. So we have love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, what Jesus was trying to do was to create a whole new humanity, a kind of humanity that brought together Greeks and Gentiles, Jews and Romans, all these people, slave and free, different ethnic groups, all these people. There's a great diversity within that, within that church. He was making a whole new humanity, and they were meant to come together for worship and to remember the story of Jesus and to celebrate the, 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 the Lord's table together, to be reminded they really belonged to one another. And, even more, and they, they had a fellowship which went far beyond geographic and ethnic boundaries. They embraced all. They even, they even served people who were very unlike themselves, so a whole different, new, different kind of society that was happening. In fact, what changed the world wasn't just the message of the gospel, though, of course, that was very important. What changed the world was the message of the lifestyle of those who followed Jesus. They had a whole new community, a whole new way of living together, and they were deeply committed to loving one another. They took seriously what Jesus said when he said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples. By what? By your love for one another. He didn't say by your impeccable theological credentials 
or nor did he say, by your perfect lifestyle. No, he said they will know and recognize that you are my disciples because you will have a love that will be so different and so attractive. You can't love by yourself. It requires people. And if you're always finding that the, this church or that church or another church isn't good enough for you, you've got a problem. Yeah, no one's quite as perfect as you. You're in the family. Be a part of it. Work through your differences, whether it's here or elsewhere, wherever it would be. In that day, they had separated themselves from the community of faith. They did not love the brothers. But Jesus, but the, John wants them to know that we're called to love one another. He says in chapter 2 and verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. In him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. These words about loving and hate your brother mean loving and hating your, 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 your fellow servant of Jesus Christ who becomes your brother or your sister. It's all the way through this text. I, I wish I had time to read it. Let me read for, uh, uh, chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Here's how God showed his love among us. He sent his Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his Son as a a propitiation or an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Yes, if you want to take your own spiritual pulse, ask yourself this question. Do I believe in the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as fully God and fully man who died and rose again from the dead so that I could have life, and have I trusted in him and my Savior? Is that the foundation, cornerstone of my belief? The second part of this spiritual test you might take yourself is, am I committed to learning and following the commands of Jesus Christ? Am I committed to learning and following the commands of Jesus Christ? And number three, taking my spiritual pulse, have I found a local church family to which I'm willing to be accountable, with whom I'm willing to live life? This becomes not that church, but my church. Not those people, but my people. And to a degree, probably all of us don't score 100% on all three of those things, you know? But let's be committed to cultivating the signs of spiritual lives with life within us. See, Jesus died to save sinners, yes, but he also died to make a new family, and we're part of that family. When I think about where our church has come from in the five or so years that we've been meeting, I'm so grateful to be part of this spiritual family, and I hope you're grateful, too. Sometimes a family can be a little bit uh, fractured. It can be a little contentious. It can be sometimes difficult, but that's what do families do. They stick together, right? Yeah. And so, for those of us who want to be fully clothed in spirituality, let us make sure we're believing right. Let us make sure we're belonging right, or behaving right. Let us make sure we're belonging right, and the life that God wants to make within us will continue to grow. And notice what it says here. How did God show his love among us? He showed his love among us 
by sending his only son into the world so that we might live for him. The Christian story tells us that Jesus wasn't just God in the flesh, but that this God in the flesh came and gave his life for you and me so that if we respond in faith to him, we can have the assurance that the signs of life are present within us. If you've not responded in faith to Jesus, now would be a wonderful opportunity to do so. And then if you've been slacking off at your obedience to the scriptures, make a commitment to following them more carefully. And if you've been taking or not making a commitment to the local church family, wherever it is you happen to be, find a place where you can stick and land, and you will be growing as you should. Let's say prayer as we close. Lord Jesus Christ, we're so grateful and thankful for the signs of life that are present here in our own church family. I think about where it is you've brought us from and how you've allowed us to become a, a thriving community in this world. I would ask that people would be able to come into this place and feel a welcome, that we're all just gathered under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and that while we are very serious about teaching and, 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 and the truths of the Scripture, we recognize that we are people of grace and that we all fail, but that we're committed to the goal of becoming more and more like Jesus as he leads us in our lives. And we're committing to do it to that together. So this little crazy little community in the middle of Cave Creek can, can become the kind of place and continue to be the kind of place where people say, <laughs> yeah, there's a church over there. and They really care about one another. They care about us. And they believe in Jesus. Help us to believe in Jesus as well. Thank you for the opportunity to be together tonight. And as I close our time with the Lord's table, may we, we be reminded of the incredible love that Jesus, the God made manifest among us, gave his life for us. May we take it with joy and thanksgiving. And may we then also be able to enjoy fellowship around the kitchen table as well, getting to know one another. Bless that food and our time in that as well. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.